We have a superintendent of schools, Dr. Matt Hillman. Matt, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. A little brisk this morning here in downtown Northfield. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> it's 14 below right now, but uh, it's not as cold as it will be tomorrow. So we've got that to look forward to. Yeah, and it makes us look forward to May. Mm-hmm. Hey, last night the uh, school board had a meeting, and uh, I want to talk to you about a few of the things that uh, they did last night. We we talked the last time you were in about the uh, uh, roof at the middle school. Correct. And... Uh, the need and also the price, you know, the cost is kind of a, a shocker probably to some because, you know, we usually don't have large buildings with a, a individually as far as residents go. Uh, we, we don't uh, spend $3 million on a roof, but it's necessary in this case, and you had to bond for it last night. Right. And so, I mean, uh, it's about a $3.1 million project, a little bit uh, higher than that. And so there's the process that we go through of accepting bids. Uh, then we go and we actually sell the bonds to be able to pay the bill. And we're, of course, going to be using our long-term facilities maintenance revenue that I mentioned the last time. So that's existing funding that we get. So there's you know, there's no additional tax impact uh, on uh, our uh, homeowners or our property owners because we're using existing funding that we already get to pay for it um, over a series of years. But you know, we do need to bond for it so we have the capital up front to be able to um, make that payment for the roof. And we had a great bond sale yesterday, so just really thrilled for the community to hear that we got a. Uh, we hear a lot uh, on KYMN and other news sources about you know an impending interest rate hike that the Federal Reserve is considering. So I think there's a, a lot of financial markets that, if you listened yesterday, there's some concern about that. So we got in just before uh, any kind of Federal Reserve rate hike, uh, which does of course impact all sorts of other interest rates. We got a 1.95 interest rate for this loan, which is pretty fantastic. And really want to thank Val Murdestorf and our partners at Ellers Incorporated for uh, coordinating that bond sale. It's a lot of work. We had national attention. Uh, we had companies from all over the country who were uh, uh, vying for that work. In fact, they paid a premium for it. So they paid a little bit more than they would have, would have had to to be able to get the business, uh, which is always a great thing. And really stems from uh, our bond rating. And so anytime we go out, Jeff, for a project like this where we have to bond, we're required to have a bond rating completed. And so a bond rating uh, is quite a process, frankly. Uh, it involves several phone calls with, uh, we, we use Standard & Poor's, which is an internationally known uh, financial uh, analytics firm. And so I, I think they're, it's fair to say they're one of the preeminent uh, financial analyst firms in the world. And we received the AA plus bond rating, which we've maintained. We've had the AA plus bond rating for some time. There are only three school districts in the state that have a better bond rating than Northfield Public Schools. They're all um, metro, well, just going to say they're metro, suburban metropolitan schools. We'll say that. And there's only two other school districts in the state, both of which are much larger than Northfield, who have a similar rating. So we're in the top six of over 330 school districts in the state with our bond rating. And you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? It got you a good interest rate. But this is an external validation of the district's financial management. They come in and they ask a lot of questions, right? They ask a lot of questions about the district finances. They ask about the district's, uh, the community's economic stature. And so it's a, it's a really positive uh, analysis of how Northfield Public Schools has managed its finances. And we just think that that external validation by Standard & Poor's, you know, I mean, I think their name is synonymous with this kind of thing, is really important for our community and our taxpayers to hear. 
Very important. Yeah, that's a uh, very good bond rating, and uh, there's been a lot of hard work involved, I'm sure, a lot of tough in, decisions, in, yes. in getting there. And great community support. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the combination. It's the combination of the fact that time and time again, the community has stepped up to help our school district to fill in that gap for chronic state underfunding and the financial management that the district has shown for two decades. So, Has uh, the project gone out for bids yet? Yep. You, so there's okay. the, the bid was, uh, we talked about that the last time. Actually, mm-hmm. So you actually get the bid from the project so that you know how much you're going to need to go to bond for. So we posted those bids back before the first of the year. Uh, we accepted the bids uh, just after the first of the year. Uh, we've contracted with that company. Uh, and then we then sell the bonds to be able to pay the bill. So that process is now complete, and all the plan to get that. Uh, that's a pretty large roof, as you uh, mm-hmm. understand. Very so. big, yeah. Uh, once again, Superintendent Hillman is with us. Let's move on. Uh, you recently got uh, results uh, last night. Uh, was uh, unveiled the results of a demographic study involving which entails enrollment and such. Uh, what did you find out? So Hazel Reinhardt, who is one of the preeminent demographers uh, for K-12 schools in the state of Minnesota, gave uh, a a demographic update. She last did a demographic study for Northfield in 2014. And demographic uh, studies are incredibly important for school district planning. So you just heard me talk about the external validation of our excellent financial situation right now uh, by Standard & Poor's. But that's now. And we are always looking ahead. And in school districts, the chief driver of all of our revenue typically is students. And so a demographic study uh, is really important because good financial management of a district happens when you are trying to do the best that you can to look ahead and be ahead of when you have issues rather than and being proactive rather than being reactive. So the school district has a number of uh, safeguards to be able to make sure that we're trying to be proactive. We've talked before about our 16% fund balance reserve goal. That's an early warning indicator to make sure that we can maintain the financial integrity of the district. The demographic study is essential. And what we heard last night was that over the next 10 years, Northfield Schools is anticipated to decline in enrollment by around 400 students. Now, it's for a variety of different reasons, some of which are uh, can be local phenomenon, some of which are national phenomenon. So uh, Hazel uh, is so fun to listen to. So if, if you're listening, I encourage you, our school board meeting uh, video will be posted later this morning. I, I strongly encourage you to go and listen to Hazel's report. Uh, she's, she's just a fascinating speaker and so knowledgeable. So uh, a couple of items is that the birth rate is lower. So you might say, well, okay, well, Our birth rate, you know, the birth rate in our county and in our community can project five years out what our kindergarten class is going to look like. And so uh, for the next decade, every year, our kindergarten class is projected to be smaller than our graduating class. And and that's not even just our kindergarten class, but even the number, just the number of births uh, are going to be down. And so that is an indicator that we have to look at. Again, we're trying to, to use the old Wayne Gretzky analogy. We're trying to skate to where the puck is going to be rather than where it is. And so having that information is really important. So the birth rate being down is one component. Interesting, too, um, the, she talked about that in the last three or four decades, the number or the percentage of people who move during their lifetime has really reduced. So it, it, at one point in the last several decades, you saw about 20% of the population change their address every year. And now that's down to 10%. So you see more people retiring in place. You see more people staying uh, within their home. And so that is another factor. Uh, Another item that is a challenge for us here in Northfield is our housing projections. And so 
uh, Hazel worked with the city of Dundas and with the city of Northfield to get their best and most accurate housing projections, uh, which even if we met those housing projections, we would only be able to fill about half the gap of that declining enrollment. And so you, you know, Jeff, from talking to a number of people who are working really hard in the city on housing, housing is not an easy thing to solve, right? And no one entity can do it by themselves. So really, when we look at three different pieces, we look at the birth rate down, and, and Hazel has a number of hypotheses of, of why that is. Part of that is related to the pandemic. Part of that is related to some of the other newsworthy things that we hear every day on great radio stations like KYMN about people just not having as much confidence about the future, which is affecting the birth rate, along with a number of other things. We have the part that just people aren't moving uh, like they once did. And then we know Northfield is a destination community, but there just isn't the housing inventory within appropriate price ranges for people to be able to move here. So even if we filled the the entirety of what the city's of Dundas and Northfield's uh, housing projections are over the next several years, we'd only be able to fill that gap by about half. Now, the demographic is important because, of course, the vast majority of our funding is related to our student count. So this was a really important report for us to hear. That's uh, down about 10% over the course of a decade. Just curious, how the expenses that you have within the school district, they'll probably have to be adjusted in one way or the other. How do you, do you have any idea what the percentage of like fixed costs you have and and more flexible costs that you could eliminate? Uh, so we are we've talked before, we're going to begin a, a priority based budget process. And I, I want to say I'm using that term very intentionally because we are operating from a position of financial strength. But again, we are looking to where we are going to be and how things like this demographic study impact that. So, Jeff, the issue is even if you take out a few hundred elementary students, it doesn't always, you know, in terms of the drop off a few hundred elementary students off of our total, I should say. Uh, the fact is that depending on where those students are at, it may not be able to affect a lot of your uh, expenditures uh, because a classroom of 22 and a classroom of 27 generally can cost the same amount, right? You're, you're going to have one teacher in both of the, most, most of the time in both of those scenarios. And so even if you, if you just take that, if it's five per teacher across one grade, that's 20 students. And so you do, as you extrapolate that, you can see that uh, swings in enrollment will, will have to affect our expenditures. There's no question about it because we will certainly have less revenue and we've been a responsible, uh, we've been responsibly uh, financially managing our school district resources. So, a priority-based budget as opposed to what people would think of as traditional budget cutting. At the end of the day, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. We're going to have less expenditures. Anytime you have less expenditures, people will call that a cut, and that certainly is what it will end up being. But a priority-based approach is different. We are operating from a position of financial strength where we can be proactive and implement measures over several years. And a priority-based budget is really about what is the most important to us. So rather than discussing what needs to be cut, like a lot of districts do, we look at what are the most important things for us to put in first to make sure that we're funding what our strategic plan uh, indicates are our priorities before anything else. And so it's we're going to be rolling that out over the next several months. And in fact, tonight, last night, we heard the demographic study. That was a really important part. The board took an annual action that they take every year, directing administrators to make recommendations about any kind of programming adjustments that need to be made. Tonight, we're hosting a School Finance 101 webinar. So if you're out there and listening and you're interested, go to our school district website. You'll see the latest family update on the lower left-hand side of the homepage. 
There's a link in that update that you can join the webinar tonight at 6.30. We have Deb Griffiths from the Schools for Equity and Education. She's their community outreach coordinator. And she's going to give a brief presentation um, and concise about the complexity of Minnesota school finance and how that has an impact um, and how the legislature funds schools, how that has an impact on the 332 districts in the state. So you'll you see that we uh, start from a position of strength. Uh, we have our demographic study, which tells us where we need to be over the next several years. And then we're going to keep working through this process. I do want to share there's good news. In 2014, Hazel predicted that we'd be going down by around 200 students over the course of 10 years. And seven years into that projection, we've actually increased by 11 students solely because of open enrollment. So people from another school district choosing Northfield Public Schools has filled that gap for us. I think that that shows the attractiveness that Northfield Public Schools has, that we are a destination district for people, for families, for staff. Um, but there just isn't the ability for people to move here like they might want to do so. So we've been really able to close that gap. We would have had to make these budget adjustments five years ago without the open enrollment increase that we saw. Superintendent Hillman is with us. And uh, one other question for you, Matt, and that is that webinar tonight on finance. Uh, what time does that start? 6.30 p.m. 6:30. And so the information is on our school website. I'll get you the link here afterwards, Jeff, if you want to post it on uh, on your website or your Facebook page, you're happy to do so. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, you also last night uh, made some tweaks to the uh, calendar, the school's calendar. Tell us about yep. it. For 22-23, uh, we just made some modest adjustments. And we really made some modest adjustments to the 22-23 calendar based on the negotiations with our teachers association this summer. And we have an incredible group of teaching staff. People in our community know it's, it's just a jewel. I mean, we have amazing teachers. And during the contract negotiation process, of course, you talk about uh, how much people are paid, but you also talk about how we structure the school day and the school calendar. And one of the things that our teachers have really found valuable is the ability to pause and think a little bit more in between academic quarters. This is something that we learned during the pandemic last year when we had pivot days when we had to make a shift between learning models. We shifted from in-person learning to distance learning. We had a couple of days for teachers to stop and make sure they were planned properly. So the basic calendar has stayed the same. Uh, We'll start right after Labor Day, the Tuesday after Labor. That's a couple of days earlier than we would have started. We've moved the family conferences to before Labor Day. The end of the school year remains on June 9th. Graduation on June 11th remains the same. The winter break and the spring break, things that I know are really important to people, that all remains the same. Uh, We just did some modification of adding some days in between quarters. We recaptured those days um, and put them before the school year with those family conferences. So the new calendar will be on the website uh, today. And again, for families, it'll be a pretty minimal impact. You'll actually have two student days off between the first, second, and third quarters. But otherwise, the calendar remains largely the same. One other thing I skipped over, and I apologize for that, and that is the exit uh, protocol for uh, COVID-19. Hopefully someday it ends. Yeah, I I think for our listeners, they'd be saying, Matt, what are you talking about? I mean, the the count per 100,000 residents in uh, Rice County is well over 1,000, and you're talking about exit criteria. Well, Jeff, you know that we first brought this exit criteria up in December. Uh, We've been very thoughtful about it. We brought it uh, to the board for their consideration in December. We brought it back to them at the last board meeting just to review it one more time, and then we brought it last night for a vote. And even though we are experiencing the highest case counts that we have since the beginning of the pandemic, and in fact, on our dashboard this morning, we have more cases in the last 14 days than we had all of last school year combined. 
However, we know better days are coming. We acknowledge the difficult circumstances we're in, but we look forward to, uh, with optimism to better days. So in, in a nutshell, what we've done is we have taken uh, the combination of the K-12 student vaccination rate and the natural immunity that comes from COVID-19 infection. We're counting those COVID-19 infections over the, the previous 90 days. We'll combine that percentage, and we use that number just to inform what the rate of infection per 100,000 residents over a seven-day period at the county level could be for us to be able to feel comfortable to scale back our safety protocols. As you know, we're committed to uninterrupted in-person learning. We have every single tool that if you read any list that says, what do you need to do to keep schools open in the midst of a pandemic? We check, I'm going to say nearly every single box because I can't see every list, but between our robust testing program, vaccination opportunities and boosters, high quality masks, we have around 70,000 KN95 masks in stock that uh, students and staff can use. We're doing everything we can to prioritize in-person learning, but we want to remove the safety protocols as soon as is reasonable. So Basically, if that immunity rate, again, which is the combination that treats vaccinations and natural immunity or COVID infections in the last 90 days equally, uh, we would be looking at that if we, let's say that we get to over 70%, uh, but not 80%. Once that county number drops below 125 per 100,000 residents for three consecutive weeks, that would prompt us to remove all of our safety protocols. And so I know that that doesn't seem like it's doable today on January 25th, Jeff, and it's been tough. Let's just be straight up. This is a difficult time for everybody listening. Um, it's the normal difficult time of the year, right? Because of just the depths of winter, it's negative 31 or whatever it is out today. And we know a lot of people who have gotten sick. Um, thankfully, we've all know about Omicron and it's a little, it's different than the previous variants. Um, we're thankful for that in some ways. It's more transmissible, but we're thankful that we're, you know, we're just, we're not seeing the same level of illness that we saw with uh, other previous variants. It's still, we don't say that we don't minimize it, um, but we have to paint a positive future. And so this, these criteria are in alignment, not completely lockstep, but they're in alignment with what MDH and CDC says are lower levels of transmission. We've worked with a local professional epidemiologist, with local medical professionals, and this seems to be an appropriate, a doable, but an exit criteria that would allow us to feel comfortable in being able to remove those protocols, the safety protocols. So better days are coming, Jeff. We just don't know when they're going to be here, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, amen. Knock on wood. We have wood to walk. Knock on now. <laughs> and thanks to everyone in the community. I mean, you know, it just takes everybody to be able to keep, we know how interdependent we are with the community, Jeff, and we know that how important us maintaining in-person learning is for everyone. And so everyone is doing a very heavy lift, right?